We begin with this biblical challenge from Pastor Ed Taylor. Man, when God's called you to do something, don't be like Asa. Just go all the way. You know, you're making, you're getting rid of all these perverted people and you're destroying all the images. I mean, Asa even did business with his own grandma, his own grandmother. He says, out of here. No false, no false worship here. But he doesn't complete the task in removing the high places. And stay strong. When you start something, finish it. Don't be so quick to quit or fail under the pressure. But finish it. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Whatever side of the political spectrum you land upon, I'm sure you'd agree that over the course of our nation's history, we've seen both good leaders and bad. Some stood for righteousness and others far from it. We see the same pattern in the history of Israel and Judah. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor will point out how people really suffer with poor leadership. That's true back in the days of the kings, just as it is today. We're in 1 Kings 14. The Bible study is entitled, People Suffer with Poor Leadership. And as we're studying through First and Second Kings, we'll be going back and forth between the kingdoms to learn of the various kings and their poor leadership for the most part. There are a few good kings. And what we're learning is history. The history of those following God during what's known as the kingdom age of Israel and Judah. And with history, it's good to learn from history, both good and bad. As Churchill put it this way, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And that's one of the reasons why we study the scriptures, because the Bible is spiritual history, taking us through the natural or the normal history of, of people and then God illuminating for us the spiritual truths behind the facts. And as we're studying the Bible, it is not just stuck in time. So don't think of history as just something that's stuck in time because the Bible goes much farther than a history book. And the Bible declares itself to be living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So God is able to take history, what we know is history, that we might think is stuck in time, and make it come alive each and every time we open it. Where we learn the context of the passage, we learn the history surrounding the passage, and then we learn how God's applying it in our lives today. And that's why Bible study is fascinating. We're studying scriptures not just for head knowledge, now, I encourage you to take notes only because you forget things. And you tend to remember more when you hear and write down. And you can go back. I always love to go back over my notes of a Bible study that I've taken, uh, that I've listened to, and the notes that I've taken to remember where I was at the time or to be recalling something that, you know, wants you, you know, if you think about it, uh, what did I teach five weeks ago? Many people, you wouldn't be able to, I don't even remember what I taught five weeks ago. Uh, the Holy Spirit does. 
And if I took notes on it, or I have notes from what I taught, I can always go back and review what the Lord wants to, what, what he gave me. I know some uh, take notes right in their Bible. I do that too. So I've got paper notes, and I also have notes right in my Bible where I can, as I'm reading something, I'll remember. And on occasion, I'll write a date to the note of when the Lord gave me that, to that scripture and that fact. But we're studying the Bible not just for facts, but for life, for life change, for transformation, so that we learn to hear and do the word, that we learn to receive the word of God, learning from good examples and learning from bad examples. And we ran out of time last week, last time we were together, so let's pick up in verse 21 where we read of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. He reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus. Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So the perversion of Rehoboam and Judah is met with verse 25. Now it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guards who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And so it was, whenever the king went into the house of the Lord, that the guards carried them, then brought them back into the guard chamber. Verse 29. The rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, aren't they written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus. Then Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. Rehoboam as the king led the children of Judah into idolatry, building up high places of false worship and encouraged the perversity among the people, replacing the one true God. Sometimes we'll look at our own culture and we'll just be shocked with what we see on, in our culture and we'll just be shocked by what we see on the news and we'll be shocked at the degradation of what's being projected and the sexual perversity and the wickedness of the land and, and the shock comes because our comparison is built into a couple hundred years of history in our country. It's hard sometimes to look beyond just the history of our own country because we can look back just 50, 60 years ago and see a much more, more moral nation, a much more toned down nation. And it's just been in the last few years in our own culture here that this has seemed to increase. But when we read the Bible, we learn that it's always been among us. It's always been perversity and twistedness, sexual sin, uh, the, the taking advantage of one another, false worship, abandoning God. It's always been with us. And maybe even a part of your own life. 
And as it's always been with us, also verse 25 will be with us. And that is, it will not go unjudged. Yes, God in his grace and his mercy is waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, calling a nation to repentance. But it's not just our nation. Every nation on the earth is corrupt. And wickedness abounds. And he's waiting, even as he, as he did with the nations of Canaan, 400 years. I would say God is patient. But there is coming a time where it will be no more. And let's just bring it down to us for a moment. As we've learned many times before, the spiritual principle of sowing and reaping, you're not getting away with what you think you're getting away with. It's not being approved by God. And in reality, it's not bringing you actually what you're looking for when you go off to the bottle or you go off to the party or you go off to the next relationship. The end result actually isn't even giving you what you're looking for. Peace, satisfaction, contentment, a settled strength for living the day or the next day, or acceptance. All the things that false idols that we place before God, who God alone is the only source for those very things. A relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ is the only source for knowing how accepted you are in the beloved, how loved you are, how important you are, how valued you are. All of these empty things in the world doesn't bring about what you're looking for. And time and time again, you find yourself at another empty place and even more empty the next time with more loads of guilt and shame at being taken advantage of and being hurt. Shishak, the king of Egypt, comes and steals away, verse 26, all the treasures of the house of the Lord. Isn't that what sin does? It steals away all the treasures from the house of the Lord in your life. All the potential blessings, all the previous blessings. Sin has a way of ripping things off. It even makes a point where Shishak comes in and he took away everything took away everything. And then he makes note that one of the things that was taken away, which was very symbolic of the power and the height of the wealth of the kingdom of God under Solomon, he steals the golden shields. He takes them. And you would think at this point, watching a king come and completely rip you off and steal everything, watching the perversity in the land that Rehoboam is not ignorant of, you would think that the very next verse would say, Rehoboam finally broke and, and he confessed his sins to God. And he saw that at what height that God was with the nation in Solomon. Now he doesn't even have the golden shields. God, we are, we are sinning before you. We are full of sin. Holy, holy, holy are you, God. And there would be repentance, but that's not what he did. What does he do? He tries to cover up the weakness of his kingdom by making new shields of bronze. They still have a little bit of shine to them, and if held just right in the sun from a distance, it might still look like there's gold in the kingdom, but God knows Shishak ripped off all the gold 
And what does Rehoboam do? He tries to cover it up with these bronze shields. He wanted to make it look like he was still in a right standing with God. But he only had the bronze. Which reminded me uh, that outward appearances are always a trap for us. As we prayed through our prayer points, the fear of man is always a trap. If God has allowed the gold to be taken as a consequence of bad decisions or whatever situation it might be, don't try to cover it up with some makeshift bronze replacement. But allow God to do a thorough work as he's getting your attention. Now, pick up with me in verse 1 of chapter 15. Now, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maacah, the granddaughter of Absalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. With Jeroboam ruling up in the north, now Abijam, it begins to rule in the south over Judah. He followed the sinful pattern of his dad, Rehoboam, which is often the temptation of kids today to follow after the patterns of their dads. Like maybe you're here today and your dad is not walking with the Lord. Don't follow his pattern. That's not the way to go. And I know that you've been given a, 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 an example that isn't from, from God. And, and a dad's example is very important in the life of a child, even an adult child. Don't follow. Don't follow Abijah here where he just took, took the easy route and he followed in the sins of his dad. Some generation needs to break the cycle. Let it be your generation. And dads, dads listening in on the radio, dads listening in to... Maybe somebody's playing this Bible study in the background at the shop and you don't want to hear it and they keep turning it up and now you're a dad listening and you know you're not right with the Lord. It's never too late to not only get right with the Lord but to be a good example for your kids. To get down on your knees, look them in the eye or whatever, however age they are. If they're, you know, if they're 45, don't get down on your knees and look them in the eye. So you can stand up for that one or maybe sit down together and say, son, daughter, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? You don't want this to be written in the history of your, writing out the history of your family and your kid. It says that your kids walked in the same sins that you did, but changed the generation. His heart was not loyal to God. So different from David. And it doesn't take long, does it? Except a couple generations for God to be lost in families. We see the pattern early on in the children of Israel. The first generation that was delivered from Egypt, they both knew God and saw God. They saw the miracles And the second generation, they knew God, but only heard about those things that God did. By the time the third generation comes around, they neither know God, nor have they heard about God. Just a couple generations to be lost. Our testimonies are powerful and important. And and then we're watching our kids get into their own personal walk with the Lord so they can experience God themselves. So we raise our kids on our experiences, but then we release our kids so that they might have their own experiences in the Lord because God is alive. And it doesn't have to be, our kids don't have to experience God the way we did, all messed up, and, and, but sometimes that happens. And it's a heartbreaking. We need to be praying more and more for those children that have chosen to go in the opposite direction of a godly family. Not perfect, just godly. Verse four, nevertheless, for David's sake, 
The Lord, his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, except for that failure with Bathsheba and Uriah. It was a huge failure. It's not no small thing. God mentions it here as a little side point. Verse 6, there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? There was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. So Abijam rested with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa reigned in his place. David was righteous, but not perfect. It was because of his faithfulness that the remnant of God's light continued to shine even when there was bad leadership. And we're reminded again, as we leave a legacy for those that will come after us, as they're writing our story, it'll be very similar. You know, we were righteous, we had a heart for God, except for that one matter, or except for this little weakness. And over this banner, I have it written down from verses four through eight. I just wrote on the side to remind me, this is a description, yet again, of the grace of God. God's grace. The nation didn't deserve God to be favorable to them. But he showed grace. He showed grace and he kept his promises. And the next king now, King Asa in verse 16, there was war between Asa and Baasha, the king of Israel, all their days. But we first introduced to him in verse 9. So I skipped all that. Verse 9. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah. He reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His grandmother's name was Maacah, the granddaughter of Absalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. That's a turn of events, verse 11. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He banished, verse 12, and all the, and the perverted persons from the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. He removed Maacah, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene gesture image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the book Kidron. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. He also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold utensils. There was war, it says, between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. And Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to King Asa, Asa, king of Judah. Verse 18, then Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord, the treasuries of the king's house, and delivered them into the hand of the servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabramam, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, let's make a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa, sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. He attacked Ejon, Dan, Abel-Beth, Maacah, and all of Chenaroth with all the land of Naphtali. Verse 21. And it happened when King Baasha, when Baasha heard it, 
that he stopped building Ramah and remained in Tirzah. Then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. None was exempted. And they took away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Baasha had used for building. With him, the king Asa built Geba, Benjamin, and Mizpah, and the rest of the acts of Asa, all his might, all that he did. And the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. And when we get to Chronicles, we'll go into depth on that. But if you want to read ahead, Second Chronicles chapter 16 will give you more insight on the end of Asa. That little statement, he was old age, he has disease in his feet. So Asa rested with his fathers, was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His father, Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. So Asa's the third king of Judah, the first good king. We'll learn more, much more about him when we get to Chronicles, a little bit more in depth. I was struck when I read through this, one of the first things that he says about him in verse 11 is that he did right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David did. But in verse 14, it says that the high places were not removed. Because God, he recognizes our imperfections, our sinful imperfections. And he also at the same time acknowledges he recognizes our imperfections and he acknowledges our heart's desire to follow him. And I wonder if there are some listening to me today that don't give yourself, uh, you don't encourage yourself enough with this same truth where yes, you acknowledge, you recognize your weaknesses and your sins, but you also acknowledge that you really do have a heart that's seeking after God. Usually it's the other way around. We acknowledge, you know, that, that we have a heart for the Lord, but we emphasize our sin and that condemnation where you could do really well and you're seeking the Lord and you make some dumb mistake and then all you do is dwell on that dumb sinful mistake when in reality you can just repent of that sin and get back to seeking the Lord. Instead of dwelling on it or identifying yourself by it or beating yourself up with shame and with with laying layers of guilt on you when, when by faith in Jesus Christ, he's removed that. Another thing I'm thinking too is that, man, when God's called you to do something, don't be like Asa. Just go all the way. You know, you're making, you're getting rid of all these perverted people and you're destroying all the images. I mean, Asa even, take care of, you know, he even did business with his own grandma. His own grandmother. He says, out of here. No false, no false worship here. But he doesn't complete the task in removing the high places. And stay strong. When you start something, finish it. Don't be so quick to quit or fail under the pressure. But finish it. This thing with his grandmother, removing his grandma, which is pretty serious. That would be a serious thing to do to remove his grandmother out of the way. But sometimes grandmothers need to be moved out of the way. That's a word of the Lord. They need to be moved out of the way for the will of God to be accomplished. We see that with Asa here. Well, we've been looking at the book of 1 Kings today on Abounding Grace. Ed Taylor is our teacher, and he's the pastor of Calvary Church, Colorado. You can catch what you may have missed online at calvaryaurora.org. You can also listen on iTunes or through our app. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. 
This month, we've picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy. It would even make a great gift or stocking stuffer. It's The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Sort of like a journalist, Lee Strobel investigates the biggest story in history. Is there credible evidence that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world? Lee asks and answers the sort of questions a skeptic would pose. What will be your verdict in the case for Christ? We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you. We don't like to make a big deal about it, but it is important that we hear from you as this year draws to a close. Even if you're not in a position to be able to give, that's okay. You can still voice your support by just letting us know you listen, and that would be huge. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or write to Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Glad you've taken time out for our study in 1 Kings. We'll pick up where we left off next time we get together on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.